0: Thank you for tuning in to the Community Life Church podcast. We're so grateful that you could join us today. Community Life Church is located in Cincinnati, Ohio. We meet Sundays at 1045 a.m. And we would love to have you join us for a Sunday. You can find out more about our church by liking us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Cincy or by visiting our website, CLifeChurchCincy.org. That's C Life Church, C I N C Y.org. Today's message is part three of our Lent series, looking at the story of redemption found through Scripture. We hope and pray that this message will encourage you and will be edifying for you in your walk with Christ. Well, good morning, church. It's a shame that we can't be together in the same room this morning, but we can still gather together. Uh, through this digital technology format so that we can still worship the Lord our God through the reading of his word. You know, this week I was struck by just how quickly our, our, our situation can drastically change. In what seems like just a matter of minutes, everything about our lives has taken on a new shape. Workplaces and schools have closed down indefinitely We can't go out to eat anymore. You can't go to your favorite coffee shop anymore. The way of life that worked for us two weeks ago no longer works. Everyone is scared. Everyone is anxious. And meanwhile, the hospitals are filling up. The grocery store stockers are working overtime. And everyone is asking the same question. When will it all end? You know, this week, with all that's going on in our world and all that's going on in our church, frankly, I found myself asking this question When will it all end? On Thursday night, I was feeling especially tired from all of these long days of trying to figure out a plan for a way forward in this scary time. And that night, I realized that I wasn't going to get much work done when I was as tired as I was. And so I decided that I would go to bed early. Well, No sooner had I laid down in bed than I got a text message from my brother that said, tornado warning in your area. And then not even a minute later, the siren down the road started blaring. And so I I quickly, as I could, put on my shoes, I grabbed my dog, and we ran across the yard to the church uh, basement where we could find shelter. And as I sat there in the basement with the tornado sirens blaring all around me, I found myself praying, God, God. When will it end? When will it be enough? And you know, friends, in this time of great uncertainty, it seems like the only thing that we can know for sure is that we don't know anything. At least that's certainly been the case for me, right? The plans I made back in August and September when I first became your pastor no longer apply. I mean, the the plans that I made two weeks ago don't even work anymore. And I know I'm not alone there. It seems that everywhere we look, everyone is trying to do their best to to figure out a plan, to, to figure this thing out together. And in this time where our plans are falling apart or failing or changing, because as we learn more, in this time, I think there's no better place for us to look than to look to the plan, to look to God's plan. Because if there's one thing that I have learned over these past few months of my plans failing and changing, it's that no matter what, God still has a plan. And you know, God's plan is life. God's plan is redemption. It's reconciliation. God's plan is hope. It's a future. And so that brings us this morning to the story of the prophet Samuel in 1 Samuel 16, Samuel found himself in a position very similar to ours. His plans had, fail, had failed, and he was unsure about his future. He found himself stuck, mourning the reality of everything that had taken place. Maybe he was thinking about uh, the ways that he might have done differently, the ways that he might have avoided this failure that he was in now. But regardless, God comes to Samuel, and he says, Samuel, get up. Because I still have a plan. And so friends, no matter where you're at, no matter what your fears might be, your failures or your regrets, God still has a plan. Last week, you may remember that we said that God always provides for the needs of his people. Now, that provision might not always look like what we would expect, but it always turns out to be exactly the thing that we need in that moment. It's, it's like the Israelites who asked for water and God led them to a rock, the exact opposite of water. See, God has a tendency to provide for us in an unexpected way. Things, things may not always make sense, but we know that we can trust God. And so today we're looking at 1 Samuel chapter 16, and we're continuing this theme of God providing for his people in the least expected way. In verse 1, we read this The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Now, first question here Who is Samuel? Who is Saul? And, and why is Samuel mourning Saul? I guess that's three questions, but we'll, we'll go with the first one. What, what is, who is Samuel? Well, Samuel was a prophet. He was a well-respected leader, and he served as, in this role as being the bridge between the period of the prophets and the period of the kings. Samuel begins this story of how Israel moved from being just 12 tribes of people to a unified kingdom. It begins with Samuel, and in his lifetime, Samuel was a good leader for Israel, but in his old age, around the time that we are looking in our scripture, in his old age, the people began to get worried. His sons uh, were failing as leaders under him, Samuel wasn't as strong as he once was, and so the people began to ask for a king to be made their leader a familiar story, the people are getting scared, the people are getting anxious, and so they devised a plan of their own uh, that they thought was going to fix all of their worries. See, in times of uncertainty, like the one that we're living in right now, I think we all know a thing or two about trying to come up with our own plans. But see, for the Israelites, their plan had a fatal flaw. The reason that they hadn't had a king all of these years is because they already had a king. God was their king. And so in asking for a king of their own, they are rejecting the kingship of God. And so before Samuel gave them a king, he made sure that they knew what they were getting into. But they were insistent. They said, give us a king, just like all of the other nations, because that is what's going to solve all our worries. And so Samuel went to God to ask what he should do. And God said, if the people want a king, give them a king. And that's where the young man named Saul comes into our story. Saul was uh, from the tribe of Benjamin. He's described as being very tall, very handsome. uh, Two things which seemed to set him apart from anyone else in Israel. He looked like a king. And so Samuel anointed Saul to be the king of Israel. And he was confirmed king in 1 Samuel chapter 11. And I think this is a classic situation of the tallest kid being picked first for kickball. Right? You, you don't question whether or not he's going to do a good job being on your team. You picked him because he looked the part. Samuel looked the part. And so the people said, or, or excuse me, Saul, Saul looked the part. And so the people said, Long live the king. So that's Samuel and that's Saul, but but why then in in chapter 16, why is Samuel mourning Saul? What happened? Well, we see after a few victories, Saul began to turn away from God. Saul's true character began to show through a bit in his actions. in, In chapter 13, where he makes an improper sacrifice at Gilgal, and then again in chapter 15, when Saul ignores the specific command of God against the Amalekites. Saul was prideful, he was greedy, he was dishonest, and all of those things proved to be his downfall. His failure to obey God led God to say this in 1 Samuel 15, 11. He says, I regret that I have made Saul king. So what we see here is the story of the garden being repeated over and over and over again. Humanity humanity, believing that we, our plans, can be better than God's. And this is serious. This isn't just a time to say, oh, well, let's just try again, find someone new. No, Samuel put all his hope into Saul being the guy. For about 30 years, Samuel mentored him to take his place as the leader of Israel, and Saul failed. It's so painful that Samuel feels as if he was the one who failed himself, and this is why he's mourning. At the end of chapter 15, it's as if the camera pans off of Saul and zooms in really close into Samuel, and he's crying. His plans had fallen apart. They had failed, and Samuel felt that it was all his fault. And so he sat, wondering where it all went wrong, thinking about how it could have all been different. And for the first time in his lifelong career, Samuel doubted his own confidence he doubted his confidence and he became afraid. He, he lost his confidence in his ability to discern God's voice. He let his failed plans keep him from looking back to God's plan. He was stuck. And I wonder, have you ever been in a situation like that? Where despite your best efforts, you fail and your plans fall apart. You know, maybe, maybe you've been there this week. You're sitting in fear and worry, unsure about what tomorrow is going to look like. If that's you, then God's word to you this morning is very similar to His word to Samuel. God says, "Come with me. I have a plan." See, friends, when our when our plans fall apart, God always provides a plan for us to move forward. The Lord told Samuel, fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be a king. One translation says it like this, I have provided for myself a king among his sons. We see that Samuel wants to go, but he's, he's worried about what Saul would do if he found out that Samuel was anointing a new king. He, he wanted to follow God's commands. He wanted to follow God's plan, but he was stuck by fear. How many times do we let our feelings of fear keep us from following after God's plan? How many times do we uh, not follow after God's plan because we're afraid of what's going to happen if we do? See, here's what I want you to see here. Not only does God provide Samuel with a plan for a new king, right? I've provided for you a king. But God provides Samuel. God provides a way to keep Samuel safe as he follows the plan. See, when Samuel failed, God provided a new plan. And when Samuel was afraid, God provided a way for that plan to be followed. And I love this. God tells him, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. Notice that God doesn't give him the whole plan, but he gave enough so that Samuel could follow that plan despite his fear of Saul. God provides a plan and God provides a way for us to follow that plan. And so Samuel goes. Now, I want to skip ahead here just a little bit. Uh, just for the sake of time, but we see Samuel obeys God, goes to Bethlehem, and then they sort of set up this impromptu festival. See, in that day, it was relatively common for them to hold uh, sacrifices at these local sanctuaries, and so that's what's happening here. The town elders send word out to the people and to, to Jesse and invite him to the sacrifice, and Jesse and his sons prepare to come to worship. In, in this sense, it's a bit like they were getting ready on Sunday morning to go to church, right? They, they wash their hands, they, they get cleaned up, put on their Sunday best, and then they all pile in the minivan and go into town. That's what's happening here. And once they get to the sacrifice, Samuel sees Jesse's oldest son, Eliab, and he says, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. Samuel is doing his best to follow God's plan amid this uncertain future. But he's trying to go about it his own way. You notice that? He looks at Eliab and, and, and sees a tall, strong young man, and he says, Oh, surely this is the one. Eliab was the oldest, meaning he had the privileged position in the family, but he also looked like a king, right? He's he's tall, he's strong, he's handsome. He looked like Saul. See, what's happening here is Samuel was trying to discern God's will using his own human standards. Samuel had it in his mind what he thought a king needed to be, particularly tall, strong, and handsome. But sometimes, in order to follow God's plan well, we need to forget about what we think we know. Because God doesn't think in the same way that people think. God doesn't judge people the same way that, that we judge people. And that's why in verse 7, God says this to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look on things On the things that people look at. People look to the outward appearance, but the Lord looks to the heart. If you're following God's plan and you're still scared and worried and, and uncertain about the future, maybe you need to consider that you're looking at the wrong thing. Maybe you're trying to follow God's plan without considering God's perspective. This was Samuel's mistake. It's the same mistake that he made a few chapters earlier when he anointed Saul. But see, God isn't concerned with height nor appearance. God doesn't care how much his king can bench press. God only looks to the heart of a person. Eliab was not anointed because he didn't have the heart that God was looking for. And so Samuel does his best to adjust his perspective um, to more in alignment with God. And and he begins to go down the line of Jesse's sons, one by one by one. And then they get to the end of the line. Samuel says, the Lord has not chosen any of these. He turns to Jesse. He says, are these all the sons that you have? And Jesse, he, he scratches the back of his neck and he says, well... Well, there's still the youngest, but we left him out tending the sheep. Now, remember, all these people are gathered for a sort of impromptu festival. All the important people are right there gathered at the sanctuary. If anyone who was not there is probably not very important. That's the case with Jesse's youngest son, David. He, he was left to do the menial task of, wa- of watching the sheep. This is kind of like leaving your youngest son in charge of the store while everyone else in the town goes to see a movie. It's an important task, and it needs to be done, but you really don't have to be anyone special in order for you to do that task. That's how they viewed it. Watching sheep was typically left to a servant or to a hired hand, or in this case, it was left to the least important son. And so here is a test for Samuel. God led him to anoint a king from the family of Jesse, which, by the way, is not necessarily the family that you would want to pick uh, for a king, but we don't have time to get into that right now. Uh, Samuel has followed God's plan thus far, and now he has a choice to make. Knowing that David is already considered unimportant by his own family, Samuel has to make the choice of whether or not he's even going to give David a chance here. See, to consider David for king doesn't make any sense. Not in that society, at least. I mean, when you take into account his family history, his current social standing, and in just a few minutes, his relatively unimpressive appearance, David is the least likely candidate to be the next king. But see, God's plans often have a way of turning our world up on its head. And Samuel, knowing this, he says, "Go get him." Now, I want to pause here and and turn and look at this story from David's perspective. You see, the the prophet comes into town in order to make some sort of sacrifice. the The elders of the town round up the most important people in the town, including your father and your brothers, and then they head to the sanctuary. Now, at this point, you might be wondering out there in the field with your sheep, you might be wondering what it's like to go to one of those sacrifices. You, you have to be imagining of, of the day when, when you are special enough to be invited to that gathering. Imagine that's you, and you're out there with the sheep. Maybe you're, you're kicking around the rocks on the ground, just trying to pass the time. And then someone comes out to you. And they say, David, the prophet wants to meet you. He's not letting anyone sit down to eat until you come and join us. Wow. Think about that. David just went from being, at best, an afterthought in the back of Jesse's mind to being front and center in everyone's attention. And then what happens next, I believe, is a beautiful display of God's grace. A young shepherd boy, David, walks into the room, probably still a bit dirty from being out in the fields with the sheep. Everyone looks at him, wondering why they had to stop in the middle of their service to wait for this insignificant shepherd boy. And then the Lord spoke to Samuel, and he said, that's him. That is the one that I've chosen. And again, Samuel could have looked at him and and he could have thought, you know, he doesn't really look much like a king. I mean, sure, maybe he's a little bit handsome, but he's not particularly tall. He's not particularly well built. Nothing that Samuel saw in David really set him apart from anyone else. But see, Samuel didn't rely on what he saw. He trusted that God knew something that he didn't. And so Samuel obeyed. He got up and he anointed David to be the next king over Israel. And so over the next few chapters, we we come to see why David was God's choice. And it all has to do with his character. And that's not something that Samuel could see on his first meeting. And so he had to trust God, even if it meant giving someone as unimpressive and insignificant as David a chance. Friends, when our plans fail, God's plan remains. And we can choose to either sit and mourn our failures, or we can get up and we can say, okay, God, what's next? And see, at a time like this, when everything around us is so uncertain, and all of our plans seem to fall apart so quickly, I think that there are two questions in relation to Samuel's story here. Two questions that we need to ask ourselves. Number one is the question, where are you looking? Where are you looking? Are you looking uh, to God to see his plan? Or are you focused on everything that's falling apart around you? Are you focused on the failure? See, it can be easy for us to, in times like this, sit paralyzed by the collapse of our plans around us. But even in the midst of all of our fear, all of our sadness, and all of our worry, God still comes to us and he says, come with me. I still have a plan. So number one, where are you looking? And then finally, number two, how? How are you looking? As you follow God's plan into the uncertain future, Are you looking with a human perspective? Or are you considering the perspective of God? Samuel wanted to anoint Eliab because he looked the part. But God wanted the the red-faced shepherd boy because he had the heart for the job. See, we can't effectively follow God's plan if we don't first consider God's perspective. And so number two... How are you looking? Friends, I know that the days ahead will continue to look uncertain, and I imagine that our plans are going to continue changing as more and more information is made available to us. But we can still have confidence. We can have confidence that even in a time like this, God still has a plan. And so rather than looking back to our, our failure and our fears and all of the rapidly changing society around us, and rather than looking at all of that and praying, God, God, when will it be enough? When will it all end? Rather than doing that, let's get up. Let's shake the dust off our feet and let's say, okay, God, what's next? And he may not show us the whole picture of what comes ahead, <laughs> But we know that he is faithful to provide a plan, and he is faithful to provide a way forward for us. And as you take those faithful steps towards him, he might just surprise you. He might just surprise you with an unexpected way towards a new future. And that, in this time of great uncertainty, that is exactly where we are placing our hope. Well, thanks again for joining us in today's message. We hope that you found it edifying and encouraging for your own faith life. Again, if you'd like to find out more information about our church, you can like us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash C Life Church And while you're there, go ahead and send us a message about how God is working in your life or the ways that we can be praying specifically for you. We would love to hear from you and get a chance to get connected with you thanks again for tuning in to the community life church podcast we hope that you have a great week